Welcome to the Middle Church Podcast, a multicultural, multi-ethnic, intergenerational movement of spirit and justice, powered by revolutionary love with room for everyone. No matter where you are, how you look, or who you love, we pray this podcast will help you on your journey. Here's this week's sermon. On the morning of Sunday, September 15th, in 1963, a white man was seen placing a box under the steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. It wasn't the first bomb. That's why it had become Bombingham, Alabama. Shortly afterwards, the explosives inside detonated, devastating the church building and the 400 congregants inside. They heard the blast all over the city. The parents rushed to the Sunday school classroom to check on their children and soon discovered four young girls had been killed in the blast. Denise McNair was 11, Addie Mae Collins, 14, Carol Robertson, 14, and Cynthia Wesley also 14. More than 20 others were injured, including Sarah Collins, who was 12 years old at the time. She was found standing, staring at the broken bodies, calling for her sister, Addie, Addie. But there was no answer. In 1963, the 16th Street Baptist Church was the largest black church in Birmingham and served as a meeting place for civil rights activities as demonstrations to desegregate public spaces and secure voting rights became more frequent and visible, meeting places like the church became targets for white segregationists looking to terrorize black activists and their supporters. P.S., by the way, they wouldn't know what to do with our little multicultural (laughs) behinds, right? What is that, right? (laughs) They would not know. Anyway, I I digress. (laughs) Immediately after the bombing, violence surged through the city as police clashed with enraged members of the black community. Before the day ended, at least two more African-American children had been killed. 16-year-old Johnny Robinson was shot by police as he fled down an alley. And 13-year-old Virgil Ware was shot and killed by white youths while riding his bicycle. The KKK did this. Bombed the church, killed the kids. The Klan did this, taught the hatred in the name of Jesus. The Ku Klux Klan is the oldest hate group in the US, and by their hoods and by their robes, they signaled their connection to the Protestant church. Artifacts that embodied the racist ideology of the Klan, along with their particular brand of Protestantism and nationalism. Robes, there was a reason they wore robes. Fiery crosses, there was a reason they lit the cross. They thought they were embodying the gospel of somebody's Jesus, not mine in a vision of white Protestant America, and it became tangible 
and it had a reach, and it changed the nation, and it went underground, and it's back. The virus that is white supremacist ideology. When I say whiteness, you know I don't mean white people. I'm just saying, I'm married to a really nice white man. If I could clone him, I'd be rich. <laughs> my queer friends want John, my straight women want John. I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about an ideology, a worldview, an ethic, a theology of white supremacy that has been curated in the Protestant church of which we are a part. You understand what I'm saying? So let's talk about what Paul of Tarsus has to say about that. This is from Romans chapter 14. Writing to a church trying to figure out its theology and ethics. Remember, we're in a series. Reframing and reclaiming Christian. What does it mean to be Christian? Paul is saying, you're going to love this. Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them. Every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. This is a message version. Can't get plainer. Remember that they have their own history to deal with, so treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with a different background might assume she should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other one ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that <laughs> without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy, and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. And there are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of their conscience. What's important in all of this is that if you keep a day holy, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat to the glory of God and thank God for the prime rib. That's what it says in the Bible, right here. <laughs> I could have written it, but I didn't. That's right there in the message. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli. <laughs> None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we're answerable to, all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death. And ready for this, free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. 
petty tyrannies. I don't want my children sitting next to Negroes in the classroom. Petty tyrannies. I don't want to live next to Hispanic people in my neighborhood. Petty tyrannies. My economy doesn't work unless the black people keep working for no pay. Petty tyrannies. I like my women barefoot and pregnant and getting paid 75 cents on the dollar. Petty tyrannies. How can we keep, why are they forcing Spanish on us? Make those people learn English. Petty tyrannies. I don't believe in abortion. Therefore, I'm going to create a 70-year strategy and wait patiently for the opportunity to elect a lying, cheating, orange makeup wearing, genital grabbing, rapist to the presidency so I can get my judges appointed and make sure you don't have freedom over your body. Petty, petty tyrannies in the name of somebody's Jesus, not mine. Back to Paul. Where does that leave you when you criticize a brother or sister? And where does that leave you when you condescend to a brother or sister? I say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself in Scripture. As I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will tell the honest truth that I and only I, I mean God, not me. I and only I am God. So mind your business. That's <laughs> what the Bible says. <laughs> in, the, in the message version. <laughs> so mind your business. You've got your hands full just taking care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. Getting in the way of someone else putting razor-wired barricades in the Rio Grande River to make sure immigrants can't get through, getting in the way of someone else, enacting policies that keep poor people poor and keep rich people rich, getting in the way of someone else, creating systems of governance. I'm sorry, what is the Electoral College? Come on, voters reform group. 
except a vestige of white land-owning power deciding how the government should work. Getting in the way of someone else. Passing laws that demand that babies who are impregnated, impregnated by people who abuse them have to have the babies. And at the same time, deciding that rifles are more important than children in classrooms. Making life more difficult than someone else. Back to Paul. I'm convinced, Paul says, Jesus convinced me that everything as it is, is in itself holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. Everything, everyone, is holy. And the way we talk about it or treat it, them, we can contaminate it. Do you with me, my friends? If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, where they live, don't live, who they love, don't love, where they sleep, don't sleep, how they name God, don't name God, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom is not a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as God sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve God. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above and proving your worth to the people around you. I don't know what happened to church, but it happened a long time ago. That church became a tool of the state to manage the populace, to keep people hemmed in, shut down, put out, feeling worthless and hopeless and dependent on systems and structures that are not meant for life but are meant to inhibit life, to constrain life, to restrict life, to snuff out life. I don't know what happened to church, but it happened a long time ago. As soon as Constantine decided to make Christianity the state religion, all hell broke loose in the church. And I'm calling us middle family to reclaim and reframe Christian, to get back to love, to get back to love, to get back to only love. Only love. <laughs> love does not require a set of creeds to be said for you to be saved. Love doesn't require the moving of beads on a chain for you to be saved. Love does not require you to get on your knees and beg to be loved by the God who already loves you to be saved. 
God doesn't require us to take our own personal ethics and impose them on somebody else and make a whole religion about putting out whoever does not think like I think, feel like I feel, believe like I believe. How dare we, the church, imagine that our God is not big enough, broad-minded enough, expansive enough for all of God's people to get into the kingdom of God, just like they are. I'm proud that atheists call Middle Church home. I am. <laughs> I'm proud that some of the best atheists I know are the most loving people I've ever met in my life. Come through, atheists. I'm glad for somebody like Gary Vizioli, who asked 15 years ago if he joined the church, did he have to give up his Catholicism? And then who joined the church and raised his boys in this church and participates in this church with his wife, Natalie, and he's Catholic all day still. And twice on Wednesday, who cares? <laughs> Our job, middle family, is the most important job of all, which is to love the hell out of a nation that has decided it's more important to hate, womb, maim, deride, castigate, categorize, shun, shame, beat up, kill, whip, anybody who is not normative, which is white and straight and male and rich. I thank God every day for all the ways we look in this place. For our beautiful queerness, for our brownness, for our big boldness and skinniness, for our straightness and transness. I thank God every day for the diversity, the rainbow that is our community, that teaches me, stretches me, pushes me, pulls me to love more radically than I ever imagined possible. And this, my friends, is the gift you've given me and the one we're required to give the world. God knows there's a lot of pain and heartache and heartbreak. And the only antidote to the pain and the heartache and the heartbreak is love. And isn't that what we're called to do? To follow in the way of Jesus is to love the outsider. To follow in the way of Jesus is to feed the hungry. To follow in the way of Jesus is to offer care for the brokenhearted, to pull the outsiders in, to make the first last, to love like Jesus loves, is to mind your business. And our business is only love. There are no rules here at Middle Church, people online, except that we love. There's no vow to take Middle Church, except that we love. There's no 
theological construct, middle church, except that we love. And the only ethic that's going to guide our life is that we love, period. Because everything else is commentary and is sometimes screwed up. <laughs> so back to Paul. Cultivate your own relationship with God. But don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and your belief are coherent. Our behavior is love. Our belief is love. That's all. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. To learn more about Middle Church, visit middlechurch.org. You can help grow this movement of love and justice by rating us on Apple or Spotify and by sharing this episode with a friend or two. Send us an email at info at if you have any questions or comments. We hope you'll come back next week. Bye for now.